we're going to get right into the Word of God. We have a whole lot of ground to cover. So let's open up our Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. And what we're actually going to do today is we're actually going to look back one verse before chapter 4 starts. We're going to look at the second half of chapter 3, verse 24. Just half of that verse. And then we're going to actually read, and then we're going to jump ahead a little bit too. So we're going to start uh, in, uh, in, in 1 John uh, 324, then we're going to read 1 John 4, 1 through 6, then we're going to skip ahead to 1 John 4, uh, 13. And it says this, By this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Now on to chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, and by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, and every, that's how we know, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which we did a whole, a whole message on a few weeks ago. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming And now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. But we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of of error. Now, let's look ahead, if you would, with me, just a couple verses. We're going to skip verses 7 through 12 for now. We're going to come back to that next week. Uh, But I feel like 13 uh, through 16 really connects us, and it's going to help me explain where I'm trying to go with this uh, today. So picking up with 13 says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us. So the beginning of this passage says, by this we know the spirit, by this we know that we abide in him. Then here we pick up that thought again. By this we know that he abides that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. That is the whole gospel. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in us. Okay, that together with that is the whole gospel. So we have come to know uh, and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, Father God, we just pray that you would be so evident in this room today, God. Lord, you've been stirring my heart with this message all week. You've been changing it on me all week long. And I just pray, Lord, that you would just uh, be here today. Father God, I pray right now for a blessing on all of the fathers in this room, a blessing on all the parents in this room, Father God. Lord Jesus, we lift up uh, the, the kids right now who, who is, we say this may have been happening for years, but it's come to light right now. All these kids at the borders who are being separated from their parents, Lord, on this day of Father's Day, Lord, we pray peace be with them. Uh, and we pray, Lord, Father God, that your hand would be on them, would be with us, Father God. Lord, give us creative ideas for how we can make things better and be a help and be a bridge. Holy Spirit, right now I pray in this room that you would speak through me, God, that everything you would have me to say, let me just say that. Let everything else fall to the ground. Let it go away before I ever even say it, before I even think it, God. It's your name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. Okay, so like I said, I've actually taught on this passage before. I taught on this passage when we lived in New York. So going into this week, I thought, I'm just going to kind of take, you know, I've already done this teaching. I'll teach on it this way, I'll, and, and it's probably the way that people normally teach on it, and I'll give that to you, and it'll be an easy week for me. But as I was diving in, and I was studying, and I was praying about it, God's like, you can't do that. We need to go a whole different direction this time than the time that we did it before. So you, you can look up that message if you ever want to see another way that I've taught this passage. But I, I feel like what we do a lot of times is we focus on, I guess I, I say the wrong thing, but I mean, I think it's all important, right? So uh, I think it's all important, but I think that there's, we have to figure out what is the part of this passage that we need to focus on for us today, for our community today, to make all the difference in people's lives and what we're doing today. And, you know, so one thing that's very crucial is the stuff about the Holy Spirit. And, you know, the Holy Spirit has been given to us by Jesus Christ. Okay? In fact, in John's gospel, Jesus actually says, he says, I have to go. I have to leave the earth. I have to depart. He's going to die. He's going to resurrect. He's going to ascend so that the Holy Spirit can come and, and dwell with us. And Jesus, he straight up tells us, he says, when the Holy Spirit does come, he's going to comfort us. He's going to guide us, and he's going to convict us of our sins. He's going to bring to light the things in our lives that need to be done away with so that we can do away with those things, the things that are not of God, and we can clearly walk the path that we're supposed to walk, the things that are of God, and we can actively pursue those things in our lives. But according to John, in the passage that we just read, if you read it closely, you would catch this. It's okay if you didn't, because I'm going to explain it to you. But according to John, the Holy Spirit is not the only spirit that dwells in our world. He's not the only spirit that exists in our world, just in this passage alone, and we get other passages that explain other spirits, but in this passage alone, we find out that there's also a spirit called the Antichrist. And again, we did a whole sermon on the Antichrist a few weeks ago, but Antichrist is the Greek word antichristos. And what it means is it means instead of Christ, or one who seeks the place of Christ. One who's, one who's trying to convince us that Christ is not the only way. He's not actually God. And the reason that I want to highlight this for you kind of before we get into this, because we're, we're going to take this a little different direction, but the, I want you to understand this going in. John gives us a guide, right? He gives us a very clear guide. He gives us some very basic rules, and he gives us kind of a, a guideline for how we spot false prophets, and his guide, his path for us to spot false prophets is quite a bit different than the way that we think of today. Today, we often call somebody a false prophet if we disagree with them. If we take a different stance, maybe politically than they do, or God forbid, if we read a passage in the Bible and we, and we dive into it and we're convicted in a different way about that passage, from somebody else, and their, their conviction is different than ours is, right? Sometimes we'll actually say, well, that's a heretic or that's a false prophet. But we have to be careful with those types of accusations. The Bible is very clear about that. We have to be very careful about the things that we say about each other. And, and that's where that old phrase comes in. It's one of our core values. It's part of one of our core values that says, you know, in essentials, we have unity. And we're going to talk about the essential today, right? But in non-essentials, we take liberties, 
And then in all things we have charity, in all things we have generosity, in all things we love people, we serve people, we live for other people. But the reason this is so important to us, and this is the reason that we included it kind of as part of one of our core values, is we have to give room for people to view things through a lens that may be different than the lens that we view things through. I think especially when it comes to difficult topics. And guys, we've been talking about a lot of difficult topics as we've been going line by line through this letter from John. When we're talking about controversial topics within the church, we've got to give each other enough room to be different. I, I believe that's part of what makes us a body. If I only ever talk to people who believe the same things as I am, or as, I, as I believe, if I only listen to podcasts and pastors who preach the exact same way as I do, it'd be like I'm just standing in a mirror and preaching to myself. I wouldn't learn anything. And the reason that that's so messed up is because you could take a passage, like you could take 1 John, like the book we've been reading, and there are people who've studied that book their entire lives, their entire lives, and Two different people could have studied that book their entire lives and drawn very, very different conclusions. And to me, at the very least, that should tell us that there is something worth talking about in this. There's something worth saying, well, you came to this conclusion and we came to this conclusion and let's talk about it and let's figure out what is it saying and what does it mean for us? And and I wanna encourage you guys, when you're talking to someone who believes differently than you do, Can we at least be open to what other people are saying? Can we at least be empathetic to the things that each other are feeling even more so? Like that's very important. Empathy and the way that in in understanding where people are coming from is very, very important uh, uh, to to do. And then even beyond that, um, can we at least, at the very least in kind of our mission and as we're having these discussions, can we at least try our hardest to figure out what is the heart of Jesus? In, in this passage. What is the heart of Jesus on this issue, whatever it might be? Now, I know that that may sound like a cheesy bracelet from the 90s, but we really do need to be asking ourselves, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus handle this? Because if we try to figure it all out on our own, which a lot of us do that a lot, then what we're going to do is we're probably going to draw the wrong conclusions because we're going to base it on our worldview. And then what's going to happen is we're going to then try to frame God into a box or a mold that we have kind of created for him from the conclusions that we have drawn. And that is completely backwards. And I believe it's one of the fastest ways to fall out of truth. And the whole time you're falling out of truth, you believe that you have the truth. Does that make sense? I think it's very important that when we disagree with somebody, we also ask this question, well, what led them to that belief? And if the conclusion that they drew does deny Christ, it does say, no, Christ did not come in the flesh, like John says. And I'm going to explain to you why that really matters. It's a really big deal. If it, but, and if it does say, yes, he didn't come in the flesh, then yes, that is false. That is antichristos. But if they say that Jesus did come in the flesh, what does John say? John says, well, that's a good spirit. There might be something in this of value. There might be something in this worth wrestling with, what they're saying, even if, even in the end, you just realize, hey, we just don't agree on this. It could be something helpful there. So at that point, it's worth listening, guys. That's part of what it means to be a body, is we understand each other. We don't have to agree on everything to get along. 
okay? But here is what we do need to agree on as far as moving the gospel forward. We can, we can, we can get along with people who don't agree on this, but we don't believe the same thing, and this is, this is, the, this is the essential. It's verse 2 and 3. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that spirit is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichristos, which you have heard was coming and is now in the world already. Do we confess Jesus, that he came in the flesh? Those are the big questions. Now, I'm gonna, this is how we're going to do this today. I'm going to, the top, this first section is going to be very teaching heavy. Very, so please try to hang with me. We're going to do a lot of Greek words. I'm going to try to explain something kind of theologically to you. And then I'm going to really take some time to make it practical. So some of the things that I've been dealing with, we've been dealing with some of the things going on. Okay? Do we confess that he came in the flesh? Flesh is the Greek word sarx. It is one of the most important words in the entire Bible. It literally means the soft substance of the living body. Okay? It's, it's the stuff that makes you vulnerable. It's your skin that can be torn. It's bones that can break. It's blood that can be spilled out. Sarks also describes humanity and our human nature and the part of us that's actually prone to sin, that's prone to do the wrong thing. It's everything vulnerable. It can be hurt. It can be killed. It can be mocked, it can be confused, it can be sad, it can be depressed. It can feel all of the same feelings that you feel because it's what you are. You are sarks. It's a very crucial loaded word. Now, next loaded word. Gospel of John, the, the gospel, it's the fourth gospel. It's not the same letter, same writer, but a different book. John 1.1 1, 1 begins by saying this. In the beginning was the Word, okay? Which is another incredibly, incredibly important word. It's called logos. The word logos means word. In the beginning was the logos. Logos was used as a reference. It's, it's a very big word, but one of the things it was used to is a reference to the Bible. Is everything that led up to the time of Jesus Christ. Uh, even in Exodus 20, we all get the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, translated in Greek, is dekalagos, meaning the ten words. That's, that's where that actually comes from. But logos is all of it. It's the entire thing. It's the, every prophecy. It's every story. It's all of it. It's every law, every command. It's all summed up in this one huge loaded word, logos. Logos is also where we get the word logic from. As in, it's logical, it's sensible, it's the right answer, it's the right thing to do for your life. So if you want to know how to distinguish between what is reality in your life and what is a lie, a good place to start with is right here, the Word of God, the Logos. If you want to be able to understand what is God's best for my life, and yet you're living in this world, right, that there's so many other voices that are trying to steer you in all these different directions, this would be a good place to turn. The right answers, the only logical answers, the only helpful answers that will truly lead you on that right pathway to the right places are in this book. They're in the Word. They're in the Logos. 
okay? The Logos was everything to people leading up to the coming of Jesus Christ. It described the best way to live, the best way to interact with people. It told us how to treat strangers when they come to our house, how to handle conflict when it arises between another person. The Logos was prophecy after prophecy after prophecy of what was to come. And it really, it painted a much hopeful future than the world they were living in in that time. A brighter world than the world they were living in in that moment. So this was everything. But watch this. Okay, so John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then a few verses later, in, first, in John 1, 14, it says this, And the Word became flesh. The Logos became Sarks. Something happened at this incredible moment in history where everything logical, everything written, everything we ever believed in and believed for and we're waiting for and we're hoping for suddenly took the form of something familiar to us, something we can love, something we can love just like we love our mothers and our fathers and our children and our spouses. Because we know that they have value. We know that they're valuable. And we know that our lives would not be the same if they were not in it. Logos became something we can love. Logos also became something that we can break. You can break flesh. You can hurt flesh. You can destroy flesh. But watch this. It says that the Logos became Sarks and dwelt among us. And this is how this is translated. And this is, I know this is heavy, we're going to get through it, and then we're going to be good. What this literally says is, the Logos became flesh and it tabernacled among us. You might be like, what in the world? Dwelled is the Greek word skenao, and what it literally means is tabernacle. And you might be like, what is that even saying? What does that even mean? What does that mean for us today? I'll show you. It's going to take a minute, though. See, by the time that John, uh, by the time his gospel had been written, and for sure by the time it had begun circulating, there's a little debate as to when it was written, but by the time that people would have had this, read to them, had it in their hands, had it available to them, it would have been after 70 A.D. In 70 A.D., Titus, who eventually became the emperor of Rome, he wasn't at the time, he led an army at that time, they seized the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And because the temple was so beautiful, I think this is crazy, the temple's so beautiful, it's full of amazing things, Titus, they seized it, but they said, don't destroy the temple, the temple's beautiful, we need to keep it. But through the attack, a fire broke out, and the entire temple was destroyed. Which, of course, we knew that was going to happen because that's exactly what Jesus told us would happen. In Mark, in Mark 13, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and they're talking about how beautiful this temple is. And, and Jesus is like, you see that temple, these bricks, all this beautiful stuff that you think are so great? Not one brick of that is going to remain. The entire thing is going to be destroyed. Okay? And so that came to pass in 70 AD. But the temple was everything to the Jews. It was that place that they believed that this is where God dwells. This is where he is. They believed that you cannot get to God except for through the temple. And by this time, 
that this gospel would have been written and made its way to his readers, that temple, the last standing tabernacle, would have just been destroyed once and for all. No more tabernacle, which sent people into a frenzy. The religious leaders, they realized we have to rethink everything. Everything's got to get rethought. We don't, everything was based on this building and now we don't have the building. But John's words here about Jesus were explaining the physical building may be gone, but the tabernacle remains. And in fact, losing the temple was actually what it took for some of the Jewish uh, people to actually see Jesus and realize, wow, Jesus really is God. Jesus himself said these words at the beginning of John. He says, he just cleansed the temple, and then he says, you could destroy this temple, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it back up again. And of course, they think he's talking about the temple, the, the, the Herod's temple, the Jewish temple. And so they're all offended and they're like, destroy the temple. It took us 46 years to build this temple. Who are you to say I can build it back up in three days? But then the Bible says, well, actually, Jesus was talking about himself he, because in his, in his, resu- in his uh, resurrection. Because nobody understood at that time that when Jesus came into the world, what happened was the word, the logos, became flesh. He became the temple. He became that access point to God. And now everybody has access to God. John's opening line tells us God is not confined to a tent. He's not confined to a temple. He took on flesh. He took on blood. He dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. The presence of God followed Jesus everywhere that he went because he himself was God. And the Holy Spirit was living in him. So they would have read this and they would have thought about their precious building in which now not one stone remained just like what Jesus had said. They would have heard it and they would have said, wow, it's real, it's here, it's now, it exists without walls, it exists without prejudice, it exists without all this, these tensions that were, came with the Jewish temple. Everybody's invited. And this temple is greater than Herod's temple or any of the previous attempts at building these tabernacles and setting up these tents and boxing God in because this temple is alive. So the Logos became Sarks and tabernacled. Let's put it this way. Jesus Christ is everything that you have ever known and needed embodied into one person. He is literally God. And he is with you today. And he is for you today. And he is as close to you as the air that you breathe today. And you don't have to go to the temple to find him because he is the temple. And though we destroyed him because we did, we killed him because he let us do that. He chose to become flesh. He chose to become breakable. He chose to become someone who feels the things that we feel and faces the things that we face. But as Hebrews says, he was tempted as we are, but he was without sin. So we destroyed him. We destroyed the Sarks, the Logos that had become Sarks. But he raised that temple back up in three days, and our God is alive. And he has come here, and he wants to fill everybody with that same spirit. Because God is no respecter of persons. And the reason that it is so important for you and for me to understand sarks, to understand flesh, 
is because when John in this letter tells us that anyone who denies that Jesus came in the flesh and that person is not of God, that is because that person is denying the gospel of Jesus Christ. That person has a spirit that is antichrist. It is antichristo. It is instead of Christ. Something has control of them that is different from Jesus, telling them that they do not actually need Jesus. And there could be no greater lie. But notice what John says after that. This is back in 1 John again. And this is the line that I, one of the lines I want us to focus on. Because again, I think we tend to focus on, let's find false prophets. Let's see what's wrong with the world. Let's figure it all out. And, and we should do that. But look at what he says to this. He tells us that we have overcome them, and we can overcome them. And we can overcome the spirit of the Antichrist because he who is in you and he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. It's the word maizan. Another way you could say it is he is larger or he is stronger. The Holy Spirit in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul even says at one point in Corinthians, he says uh, that your body now is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit that is living in you right now is larger, stronger, more powerful than any of the things that may come against your life. The Spirit that is in you today is stronger and makes you stronger than your anxiety, than your fears, than your fleshly desires. Stronger is he who lives in you than depression. Larger is he that lives in you than your bills or whatever financial crisis you may have fallen into and found yourself in. And beyond that, guys, one thing that's very important to us, Don and I talk about this a lot, is we really believe that the Holy Spirit doesn't just empower us for our own good. He empowers us for mission. He, so it's not just self-help, but the, he actually empowers us so that we may go into the world and be a better reflection, be a better light. And the truth is that the spirit that is living in you is stronger than the spirit out there in the world that we're called to face head on. See, I don't believe that the devil can do much to a person who believes that the gospel is everything to them. See, the devil really likes guilt. He likes guilt. He really likes to use guilt against you. But if you understand the gospel, then instead of having guilt, you may have some conviction, and conviction may play a role in moving your life forward in the right direction. But you understand that you don't need to dwell on things like guilt. Because that's all been taken care of, hasn't it? But if the devil can get you to take your eyes off of Jesus, if he can get you to take your eyes off of the one who is stronger, the one who is bigger, if he can get you to take your eyes off of the one who always overcomes, if he can get you to take your eyes off of Jesus and onto yourself and onto your problems, then it becomes very easy for him to bring those lies to your mind that tell you that you're worthless, that tell you you're a failure, that tell you that you're too far gone, that tell you that there is no hope. But if you take your eyes off of hope, what do you have? 
you have nothing. You have nothing. You know, last week, or I guess it's almost two weeks ago now, we had some really high-profile people commit suicide. It was absolutely tragic. And, and one of the things that it reminded me of, I don't know if it did this for you or not, but it reminded me of the fact that money doesn't solve problems. It doesn't make life okay when life is not okay. It's proof that you can have everything and still feel like you have nothing to live for. On Monday, just a few days ago, we, Don and I received word that a really close friend of ours had died. And uh, if I were to be truthful with you guys, he's a friend of ours from California. Thinking back on our lives, I don't know if Don and I would even be here we may still be because God works in amazing ways, but I don't know if we would be here if it wasn't for this person. When we moved to California, this person made sure that we had a decent place to live. Uh, he, he, he made sure that we were, he, he, he was one of our bosses. He made sure that we were promoted at the right times. He was the first person to sign off on sending us to New York when we planted that church in New York, and we were going kind of back and forth for a while, and the teams were doing that. He was the first person to sign off on that. Uh, he, we, we'd been in his house. We'd been out to eat with him many, many times. And even though I hadn't talked to him much in the last few years, sent him a few emails. Oh, we were there a couple years ago. We saw him. We talked to him briefly in that time. Um, so I hadn't seen him much lately, but because I do try and kind of keep up with what's going on in, in these worlds that I used to be a part of, I did know that for him a lot of things had changed. And I kind of worried about him. I, I worried about him a lot. And right away, the first thing that I thought of when I heard that he was gone was I, I, I mean, just, just to be truthful, I said, God, I hope, I hope he didn't kill himself. Don said the same thing. Sarah, our children's pastor, um, who also used to live out there and, work, and worked with him too, she said that she thought the exact same thing. And then the next day, we started seeing some posts and messages that reported that he did. And as awful as this sounds, when I found out that part, I mean, I'm still like, God, I hope, it, I hope that that's not true. Please don't let that be true. I don't want that to be true. But I, yet I found that part out, and I wasn't surprised. It was more of a confirmation. And here's where we just have to be kind of honest, okay? Because I don't have these answers. I don't have the answer to this. But how do we all know? From the moment that we heard it, and I don't think it was just us three. There was a lot of people rallying, a lot of people coming out. I think it was everyone. And was it the Holy Spirit? Or was it just this reality check that over the last couple of years we'd all watched as everything that he had dedicated his entire life to suddenly was not there anymore? And what do we do with the things that we just don't have a clue what to do with? Where do we put this? Like, I knew they're struggling. I knew that they felt alone. I knew they, they may have even felt abandoned. I don't know. I'm thousands of miles away. I don't know what to do. And I don't know for sure, but I don't know if anybody knew what to do. Another person that I know, I don't know him that well, but I'm Facebook friends with him, so I say I know him. I haven't seen him in 20 years. But we're Facebook friends, and I saw her post a few months ago on Facebook, and this is, it said something like this. It said, if ever there were a time in my life that I need somebody to show up in my world right now, it's right now. Can somebody please just come over and sit with me right now? That's what I need. It was clear, it was concise, obviously a hurting person in that moment. And again, I'm no better because I didn't get in my car and drive to Lansing 
to spend the day with my Facebook friend that I hadn't seen in 20 years. I didn't do that. But I did read the comments on that thread, and 100% of the comments on that thread were excuses as to why they could not be there. Every comment was the reason. I have three kids. You don't want it to be more chaos than it would, which is true, but you know, it'd be more chaos if I, if I came than it would be helpful. I'm just left for a trip. Oh, we're out of town, but maybe if in three days when I get back, maybe we could, do, you know, it sounded to me a lot like when Jesus was trying to call his disciples and they're all like, yeah, I'll come, but first I got to do this. Or I'd love to come, but here's my excuse. I, I don't know. I just, it, that's how it, I, it felt to me. Or almost like, or the Good Samaritan, where like, they're, all, they're all like just walking across the street because they don't want to touch potential death. And that person is okay. They didn't do anything crazy. But as I read these excuses, I I just wondered, I wondered, are these spirit-led responses, are any of these spirit-led responses to this person's need? Because they all, every one of them sound like the opposite of Jesus. And and please, I'm no better. This is not me being critical because I was no better in that moment. I just justified, I barely even know this person, I'm far away, I, I did the same thing. The last, the very last line we read today says this, it says, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And the way that we respond is a direct, is a direct reflection of whether or not the Spirit lives in us, or at least whether or not we're listening to him. And I, I just feel like this world right now, I feel like it has so many layers of brokenness right now, that we've got to be sensitive to whatever it is the Spirit is trying to tell us. Because more than ever, every voice you might hear in your head or everything you may feel in your heart, it needs to be taken seriously. Because what you do with that may actually be the difference in somebody's life. Last week we talked about our hearts. About how the devil wants to confuse your heart. He wants to confuse our hearts. He wants to take away our purpose. He wants to take away our joy. He wants to take away our reason for getting up in the morning. And whether he does it through mental illness, or he does it through loneliness, or he does it through depression, or he does it through anxiety, or he does it through boredom, or he does it through overworking, he knows whatever those triggers are in your life. And if you let him, he will use those triggers against you. But he's so much less powerful than Jesus Christ. Greater is he who lives in you than he who is in the world. Larger, stronger is he who lives in you. And anything that exists in this broken world, it is not as big as Jesus. It is ruled by the father of lies, guys. And but this is why this has just been so hard for me. And if you've ever known anybody who's committed suicide, then you're probably familiar with what happens on the other side of something so tragic. You're familiar with the shock. You're familiar with the sadness. You're familiar with the questions. And all sorts of people now sort of have this like low-laying guilt, like a little voice asking them this question, like, could I have done more? What if I had made that one phone call? What if I had reached out? What if I had told that person that I love them? What if I'd made a point to tell that person the impact that they had on my life? What if I told that person how much they mean to me? And of course, I'm not naive. Apart from the Holy Spirit really speaking clearly to you, there is no way of us knowing what's going on in the depths of people's hearts. And there's only so much of that that we can actually carry. 
And I'm not, telling, I'm not trying to heap that on you. We have no way of knowing. We can't diagnose it all. But what we can do is we can listen to the Holy Spirit. And sometimes all we can do is love people. Without any special knowledge of what's going on, whether we hear anything in our, in our, or not, we need to remember that love is the most powerful weapon against the forces of evil. Love is the most powerful weapon against the voices of guilt and the voices of shame and the voices of loneliness that we may feel, that people may feel. A man came into to this church a, a few weeks ago. He came up to me after service. I taught on the Antichrist th- that Sunday. It was probably one of the hardest Sundays all year. Not a good week for visitors, but we just did it. But yet somehow the love of God spoke through me in that moment in such a way that afterwards he came up to me Okay? He came up to me, he asked to talk to me, and he said, man, that message changed my entire life. He said, literally, I, 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 I promise you, I'm being serious. He's like, I was trying to think, how can I kill myself? I want to take my life. I don't want to live anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. And now, all of a sudden, I, I feel like I have hope. I know I have hope. That's how powerful Jesus is. That he can use a fast-talking, often timid voice like mine to be able to speak to the heart of somebody and pierce that heart deep down into whatever's going on in there that nobody else knows about. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. But in life, sometimes situations like that, are, they're amazing because we hear about the wins, right? We, we hear about it. Sometimes we win and we, we don't even know it. Like, there's got to be more stories like that. And maybe they didn't come up and tell me that. There, sometimes we get, like, reports from podcasts or reports from services. But a lot of times we don't ever know the effect we have on somebody. We don't know what a conversation may lead somebody else to doing. And they don't always tell us that. Because those are kind of private matters. But sometimes it feels like you didn't win. For example, and again, I, I know you've seen this if it's happened to someone you know. But when our friend died last week, the showers of love and shock and sadness came pouring in from every direction. People from all around the world, they're calling each other, they're texting each other, they're posting pictures. People who are just like Don, people who are like, this guy impacted so much, he set the trajectory for my life. He was a very influential man. He helped us move from where we are to where where we were to where we are now. And so you see these tributes of people. But for whatever reason, that love that they all obviously had was not enough to keep him alive. And and I just kept thinking this as I saw tribute after tribute, picture after picture, post after post, memory after memory. I thought, man, if only he could see this. If only he could have seen this on Monday morning and been reminded of all these people who still believe in him. What could that possibly have done for him on that fateful day. And because I'm human, and I want to be transparent with you, and I want to try my hardest to be vulnerable, if I'm completely honest with you, even when I read the Bible, this is hard for me. Because I read it and I think, this is not supposed to happen, right? Because greater is he who's in me than he who is in the world. Right? So if that's true, then how did something so dark win? And I wish that I could tell you that I knew the answer to that because it's been bothering me all week. But I do know this. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit who lives in you, is not the only Spirit in this world. 
we are in a war. We are in a war for our hearts. We're in a, a war for our minds. We're in a war for our children. We're in a war for our city. We're in a war for our lives. We're in a war for our churches. And though I don't know what happened to my friend that, that last week, I do know this. Sometimes darkness wins the battle simply because no light shows up. You know, John's gospel, it says this in John 1.5. It says, when Jesus came into the world, a light came. And this light was so bright that darkness could not overcome it. In fact, we did a whole message on 1 first, first John 1.5. It's amazing how these parallel, 1.5, 1.5, they're both about light. And 1 John 1.5 says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. It cannot even exist with the darkness. But you know what Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount? He tells us that we are the bearers of that light. We are the carriers of that light. And nobody who's sitting in a dark room with a bunch of people who really want to see would take that light and put it under a basket so that nobody can gain from it. Nobody would do that. Nobody hides a light under a basket so that nobody can see. But we must, guys, we must be abiding in the light. We must be shining the light. And I, when I look back on this week, what I see is a lot of lights that were shined from me and from others after the fact. But it proves that the light was there. And this is the point. This is not meant to be condemnation because I know that it can feel that way. It's not meant to be guilt because none of, none of us are even set, are, can handle that. That's not the way that we're wired. It's not the way that we're created. And it's not the way we're supposed to live. But this is what it's meant to tell you. It's meant to say that we just do not know what other people are going through. We don't know. And even when we get a glimpse, it's not always easy to respond and to know how to respond. We don't know what this person sitting next to us right now went through this week or the anxiety they may be feeling in this very moment about something coming up. We don't know what's going on in the mind of that person who just cut us off on the highway. We don't know. But what we do know is that God is light. And he has given us this beautiful example of how to interact with others, no matter what they've done to you, no matter what we think that they deserve, and that is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God. But the factor that I just, I don't want you guys to forget, and I don't want us to ever rule out and ever ignore, is the Holy Spirit. God gave us the Holy Spirit to lead us to the places that we would never even think to go to on our own. I know that God's spirit is what drew Don and I to Los Angeles. I knew that it was God's spirit that called Don and I here to Detroit and led us here. It's the same spirit that we ask every week, Holy Spirit, be evident here, be present here, speak through me. It's the same spirit that spoke through me and somehow, even though I don't even know how, somehow talked to somebody about Antichrist and had him repenting it on his face and saying, you know what, I wanna live. And I, wasn't, I didn't want to live before I got here. That's the power of the Spirit. God can take a broken sermon and touch somebody's heart who's ready to end their life. The Spirit guides us. He's moving us. He's always at work. You know, one thing that um, has been going on, I mentioned in, in the prayer, is like we don't know how, we know this has been going on for a while, but all of a sudden we find out like all these kids are coming across the border. And they're being separated from their parents. And one thing that I've noticed, because a couple weeks ago we talked about how uh, the church hasn't been pulled very well in the response to those things. But you know what? This week, 
Every single pastor that, I, that spoke up about it at all spoke out against this. And I feel like the Holy Spirit, at least everyone that I saw, I feel like the Holy Spirit is actually stirring people and they're actually listening. They're like, wow, kids being separated from parents, trying to figure that all out, that, that doesn't really make sense. I mean, today's Father's Day and that's how they're spending their Father's Day. I don't know if they actually celebrate it, but they're here now and they're in our world now and Father's Day, they're separated. And that's tragic. And all of a sudden now, everybody's saying, you know, we gotta do something about this. Even people who are normally strict on things like that, they're like, this is too far. We gotta do something about this. And I'm proud that people are standing together and saying just in general, like, let's do better. Let's do better than this. We can be better. We can do something to make this better. We can do something to make the world better for other people. Because Sometimes something is just so, 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 so dark. You know, I I can't hide my light under a basket anymore. I'm going to use every bit of influence that I do have, no matter how little or how great it may be, to make sure that people who are living in such incredible darkness at least get a taste of hope, at least get a taste of the light. Because we know that God abides in us because he gives us the Holy Spirit. And we know that God loves us because he sent us his son Jesus to die for us. And guys, there are a million reasons why it matters that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. But here's one practical one for you. Jesus came in the flesh so that that flesh, his flesh, could be destroyed for you because of how much Jesus values you and how much Jesus loves you. His flesh was ripped apart so that yours wouldn't have to be. It's the ultimate demonstration of just how much you are worth, of just how much those children are worth who are missing their parents and feel alone in this place that's totally foreign to them, of just how much my friend in California is worth. The gospel is stronger, but people need to see it. People need to know that it's there. People need to be reminded that death will not have the final word. That the broken pieces sometimes can be put back together. That there is life after depression. There is life after losing your job. There's even life after losing your marriage. There's life after falling into bankruptcy. There's life after foreclosure. There's hope after the biggest failure of your entire life. Whatever that thing may be, there is hope and there is life. But it is only found in Jesus Christ. And people need to know, Jesus is real. Jesus is here. And he loves you. You know, 1 John 1, 1, 1 John 1, 1 starts by John saying, he says, he says, this is why I'm writing you. I'm writing you because I saw Jesus with my eyes. I touched Jesus with my hands. This is real. The word became flesh. We actually touched this flesh. We encountered this flesh. We had conversations with this flesh. We watched this flesh live a perfect life. And we watched this flesh be torn apart. We saw it with our eyes. That is why we write. That is why we speak. That is why so many people have given their lives to further this message of hope because they know that it's real because they saw it and they touched it and they interacted with it. Guys, this is not Santa Claus. This is not Superman. It's not a nice, fun myth to make ourselves feel good. This is reality. This is logos. This is everything. And it's as real as it comes. 
And there's always gonna be these things in our lives that, will, that they're gonna seem just as real. They're gonna come against us. They're gonna weigh us down. They're going to try to confuse your hearts. They're gonna even try to condemn your hearts. But if you remember what we said last week, what? God is greater than our hearts. God is larger than our hearts. God is stronger than our hearts. So yes, test the spirits. See if they're from God. Test what people tell you is true. Test what I tell you is true. But even more importantly than testing the spirit of the things that you hear is abiding in the spirit that you have. Abiding in the spirit that Christ has given you. Because that's the spirit that will show you how to be a light to the darkest places. That's the spirit that will show you and be a light for you when you're in your darkest place. Guys, don't, I said at the beginning, don't overemphasize one part of this passage and miss the part about what God is doing in you. If all we do is look for people who are, when what they're saying is wrong or what they're doing is wrong, then we're gonna miss the things that are right and we're gonna miss the things that are good and we're gonna miss the things that are helpful. If we're always looking for problems, then all we will ever see and all we will ever find are problems. But we have living in us the solution. If the Spirit is living in us, why are we not shining as bright as we could, guys? It is the Spirit that will be light and then will show us these false spirits when they're trying to do something antichrist. Guys, God will always overcome as long as we show up. Let's listen to the Spirit and let's show up in people's lives. Let's show up in our kids' lives. Let's show up in the world. Let's show up in the lives of, let the Spirit tell us what's happening in other people's lives so we can show up. Let's listen to the Spirit and see, Spirit, how can we be a father to the fatherless, just like you are? How can we be parents to kids who don't have parents? How can we help families that need our help? How can we be that? Let's listen, but then let's take action. Let's actually show up because God will always overcome if we just show up.